Welcome to Failing Forward. Gloria, can you introduce yourself for the audience today? Hi, my name is Gloria Skeel, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer of CARE USA. And what were you doing before you joined us here at CARE? Um, I was with USAID in various capacities, worked in the Africa Bureau in Europe and Eurasia, in Asia more recently, worked in the policy department uh, or bureau, in the global health bureau as well. And so I've been all over USAID for a number of decades, including actually serving as the USAID mission director for the Philippines, the Pacific Islands, and Mongolia. And why is it important for us to talk about things that aren't working and things we need to change? This is something I really feel strongly about, Emily. I think we are only as good as you're able to learn, especially from um, efforts or interventions that have not worked, that have not turned out to be the way you expected them to be. Um, and so, yeah, we need to learn and we need to learn from unexpected events, from failures. If we're going to advance, we need to be able to learn. Talk to us a little bit about the topic you've chosen for today. Well, thank you. I want to talk about expectations from the concept of sustainability. We talk a lot about sustainability. And in 2015, the development world through the UNDP came up with 17 sustainable development goals, which the development community and the UN has been have been tracking very closely. And something happened, of course, COVID happened um, on top of climate change and crisis coming out of conflicts that made me really think about sustainability. Setting goals on the basis of sustainability may set us up for disappointment. And in fact, we have seen a number of developments that are disappointing on the face of it. Um, after COVID-19, for example, uh, the UNDP reports that the pandemic wiped up more than four years of progress on poverty eradication, and it put over 90 million people back into extreme poverty last in 2020. I know that because of COVID-19, um, the delivery of health services were disrupted, affecting immunizations for other childhood diseases, et cetera. And um, I don't know what the statistics are, but I'm sure that those were affected as well. I know we have seen a rise in TB and malaria deaths. And then education, what happened to education? I understand that over 20 million students from um, basic education to university education are at risk of not being able to come back or not being able to recover. And then, of course, we saw, despite all efforts for economic growth, we saw the impact of inflation and the rising interest rates and uh, the debt burdens and how these have all affected our efforts in this area. So it looks like we failed. One thing or three things, COVID-19, uh, climate change and conflict made us fail. But I don't think we should look at it that way. I think what happened 
2019, 2020, 2021, uh, where we retro looked like we retrogressed, should teach us a lesson that sustainability is probably more elusive than we aspired for that concept or for that goal to be. And I think that what is more important is really working at resilience. I think we should work at helping households, communities, and countries to be resilient. It's okay, and we know that things will happen. COVID-19, another pandemic, another conflict will happen, but it's the ability to go bounce back. That's the muscle that we all need to develop for ourselves and that we all need to work um, towards with people and the countries for whom we do development and humanitarian work. Ability to bounce back is more important than just continuing to move forward because that's probably not possible. If we travel back in time to 2015, the world launches the Sustainable Development Goals. What was the definition of sustainability that we were using at the time? Progress, continuous progress, because we had set targets that by 2030, we will accomplish X in these 17 areas. And that in order to be able to accomplish uh, those targets, it assumed just continuous progress. And um, although not spoken, that's what I assume for the idea to be. Uh, sustainability means continuation, continuous. And, um, and so that is actually what made me think about it. Maybe we set ourselves for something that was not real. Who knew that a pandemic as strong as uh, COVID-19 would happen? And who knew that a lot of these conflicts would be as protracted as they are? And, um, and so, yeah, I think the idea in 2015 was that there would be continuous progress, whether a lot or whether big or small, but continuous progress. And my point is that it doesn't have to be continuous progress. Um, the trajectory doesn't have to go straight up. It could go down and that's okay. And we should learn for, from what it is that we go down and what can we do to make it go up again. But more importantly, what make people and institutions more resilient? And that we should incorporate that into our programs right from the beginning. And when you think about that assumption of continuous progress, what kinds of mistake did that cause us to make? So what sorts of investments did we make because we assumed continuous progress that probably didn't pan out the way we hoped? It would be difficult to go from one sustainable development goal to another, but I would think that perhaps there was less attention to what makes a person, a household, a community, a country more resilient. It's the, the idea of resilience was probably not incorporated right from the start. And so what do we need to do differently? What does resilience look like that sustainability doesn't capture? First of all, the recognition that it could go down. 
we did not expect that and therefore we're not immediately able to respond to it. For it, we did not work towards that. When we could no longer convene a school in person, we did not have an alternative immediately. We did not understand what it means when you teach virtually and therefore address for that. We know that there have been virtual education classes at the master's degree or PhD at the higher levels. When we do that, what makes them successful? And are there things we can learn from that that we could have incorporated at the lower levels um, that could have made up? I'm very concerned about what we may have lost for the year or two years that school was not convened in person. In agriculture or enterprise development, I think that more developed countries that are digitized have been able to fall back on the digital technology to continue commerce. But we have been taking our time in accelerating digitization and digital transformation in the countries where we work for a range of reasons. But I think one of the learnings there is it's a good alternative. It helps for economies to bounce back and uh, it helps for households to be able to continue uh, with their lives, with livelihoods, et cetera. And so there were things we did not, we just did not think about because we never thought that there would be these things. There are countries that have been dependent solely on tourism, you know, dependent solely on livelihoods that require person to person touching, etc. Had they known that something, that it's not a forever thing, that such growth in tourism is not always constant, might they have developed livelihoods that could help make up for the loss of, of tourism? So things like that, that I thought it was really important to learn about the fact that things happen. You can't control for uninterrupted progress. And so you should plan for it. That's what made me think about the countries that have been able to bounce back more easily have been those that have, have alternatives. I think we should learn from that. An example you made me think of, we went back to a program where CARE had been working on a value chain and they'd been specifically working on broccoli and getting farmers to grow broccoli. And mm -hmm. 10 years later, we went back and farmers weren't growing broccoli anymore. And everyone was ready to declare that was a failure. This was not sustainable. And the farmers said, wait, stop. We're not growing broccoli because using what we learned, we found out that now spinach is more profitable in the market. So we're growing spinach instead of broccoli because that is better for us now when we're making those decisions. And to me, that's the difference between sustainability and resilience. Sustainability that's is right. you keep growing broccoli because that's what we told you to do. That's exactly right. And resilience that's is we have the tools to decide what we need to do next. That's exactly my point. That there, is, there are no guarantees. And so people should have alternatives. We should 
always be mindful of the need for alternatives. So what does that mean if the definition of sustainability is you keep doing the thing we assumed you would do, and resilience is you have the tools to pick alternatives when those work better, what kind of investments do we need to make now? Interestingly, some of the same investments, but with the mindset of being able to bounce back or change, being able to be agile. Capacity building continues and will always be important for resilience, even more for resilience than sustainability, because it is education it's a, that enables you to multitask, enables you to find new ways of doing things or to understand what is a better alternative. So we would continue to do education. Resilience actually is very closely, in my mind, very closely related to empowerment. You know, when you're empowered to think differently, you will be more resilient. But that comes from having a broader knowledge, not just book knowledge, but knowledge of the world. And so I would continue to, to do education. I would not look at digital transformation as something for the more advanced. I would figure out a way to make it accessible to more people than just a few. I would begin, I would change the mindset, the gender norms about STEM. You know, in many countries, it's viewed as a male thing. But it is one of the things that make countries, people, and households most resilient. And it's what drives a lot of innovations in the world. So I would do that. And then I would work more strongly, uh, probably more aggressively on strengthening institutions at more levels than just at the community level. I think that if you look around at countries that have not been as resilient or as uh, empowered to grow, you will see that a lot of it comes from weak or poor governance. Governments at the national level that do not prioritize progress at all levels. I mean, they, you know, we may want women to own land. We may want women to have access to credit, but if the national law does not allow it, there's nothing much we can do to change that. They hold the key to a lot of either progress or failure. In the way CARE talks about that, we talk about investments as agency in sort of the training you give to individual women and investments in structure at that piece you were talking about. How does the system change? Yeah. How do we, and not just CARE, but the whole industry, lean more into investing in the resilience of the system? By paying closer attention to the impact of the system and then making investments in transforming it. I think we say a lot about, we talk a lot about systems change, but think about where our investments go mostly. You mentioned earlier about empowerment 
in all of the metrics that rolled backwards in the world, World Economic Forum says we've rolled back gender equality by an entire generation. We lost an entire generation worth of that. How do we factor that into the actions we take towards resilience now? That's a very good question. And I think it is to think about why did gender get severely affected? For example, gender that uh, women and girls who we care, whose who's, who's empowerment we really focus on, why have they been less resilient? And I think it goes right back to the institutions or the systems, as you say, don't allow them, to, don't enable them to be resilient. Schools pr propagate the gender norms of boys only will be engineers, boys only will be uh, IT, etc. And, and so I think it's, it's really looking at what else have we not done. And I, again, I go back to education and governance. And if we could do one thing to have better investments in resilience instead of sustainability, what, what's one action people could take? I think capacity building. I mean, I think that's the root. I, I wouldn't say instead of, I would just say, let's focus on resilience and maybe that will enable progress to be sustained, not necessarily on a straight line, up and down, um, but um, I, I think capacity building in the real sense of the word, like not allowing gender norms to define whose capacity and in what capacity. Um, that I think is most important because when there is capacity, then there would be energy and, and vision to change other things. You talk about capacity building in the true sense of the word, and that means more than just offering a handful of trainings and saying, good, now capacity is built. What is the true sense of the word? From my perspective, it is, you know, the same concept as equity. You look at where a person, a community, a country starts from and uh, tailor the capacity building on, from, on that basis, not on what the curriculum is that you came up with. And that will build resilience. How do you think about putting the choice for what capacities to build into the hands of people themselves so that they can say, this is what I want to be doing next. How do I build those skills? Instead of capacity being completely determined by a project activities plan. I think you start there and then have a conversation. Why? Why is that where you want to start? Um, and then I, I think it, it really is important to see what the aspirations are, what the goals are. Not you have to do this because I say so, but understand where they're coming from and then work, work from there. And if you had one piece of advice for everybody who's listening to us today about what we need to do next, what would you say? I think we should continue learning from what didn't work. I really hesitate to use the word failure. I think what you're doing with your podcast is very important. Um, we, should we should learn and not say, okay, that happened, I'll move on. We always say that, I'll move on. But you can't move on. We shouldn't move on without understanding why something failed or why something did not happen. I think that uh, learning from failures as well as from successes should be something that 
should be part of our DNA. If we want to progress, we need to be to reflect on what's pleasant and not so pleasant. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me.